a, a couple of things for the good of the family before I jump into the word. First off, uh, we did a lot of work uh, around the church this week. If you haven't walked through the cafe, you should see the incredible, complete uh, paint job in that room. It looks like a different room. It's beautiful. Uh, we repaired some uh, leaking that was in the roof over the steeple. You can see right there where the paint kind of slumps under that light. Do you see that? That's water damage. You can see even more in the hallway in the front. It's because the steeple was leaking. So we had to take the steeple off and then completely re-roof and put the steeple back on. While the steeple was off, we added a new cap with a cross, which is really kind of cool. That cross that's at the top of the steeple is four feet tall, just to give you a sense of how high it is and how tall that, 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 that uh, cross is. So all of that happened under the leadership of Brad Hall, our trustees. So if you see them, thank them. That is just fantastic. Also, in, in, in other labor news, uh, Jason and Caitlin Dunbar had their baby. They had a baby boy. His name is Bennett. He is a gigantic boy. Uh, if he had gone any longer, he would have weighed 40 pounds. This kid is huge. These are his big sisters, Charlie and Lucy. They're going to love him hard. You can tell. And it is beautiful. So congratulations to our student pastor, Jason Dunbar, and his wife, Caitlin. Also, today marks uh, the anniversary of our church. We were established on this weekend in May in the year 1867, which means our congregation is 154 years old today. So let's celebrate that. Most of you don't look a day over 150, so that is a, a, a blessing as well. So uh, God bless our church. Uh, church planters from Providence now over in Rockfield came on horseback, led by Dr. South, John South, and they planted this church 154 years ago, and here we are. Uh, I just love that so much. Um, so we celebrate with those who celebrate, rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep, and Jana Benningfield and our congregation lost her mom, Nancy Jones, and we'll bury her this coming week. So be in prayer for Jana and for her family. Uh, now let's jump into the word together. Verse 17, we are in a message series entitled What God Expects of Everyday People. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments for a number of weeks. And today we're on the Tenth Commandment, the final commandment, which is in verse 17. You must not covet. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or Anything else that belongs to your neighbor, thou shalt not covet. The Tenth Commandment is different uh, in, in the Ten Commandments. The final one is, uh, fits right in there. Most of you are used to it, but it's different. And from the very beginning, people have noticed that the final commandment, the Tenth Commandment, is very distinct, very, very distinct, even in the, the company of the other nine commandments. Can you put your finger on what makes it different? Do you know? Now, all the other commandments, basically, you pretty much got to get out of your chair to sin. I mean, you're going to kill somebody, you're going to have a hard time getting them to come over there to you. I mean, you're going to have to get up and go kill them. If you're going to steal something, you got to go steal it. All of the commandments have to do with action, with doing something. But the 10th commandment, the final commandment, is not that kind of sin. It's a sin of the heart. It's a sin of the mind. We're just talking about desire. So the last commandment is unique among the 10 because it reveals the way sin dwells within your mind and heart. It's just really interesting when you think about it. Actually, the Jewish rabbis have debated the last commandment for centuries because of this simple fact. They notice that most of the time when you're going to sin, you got to actually do something. But if you're talking about the sin of coveting, that's an attitude. 
that is the kind of sin that you would commit just by thinking or even just wanting something. And the rabbis debated about that because they said, if you take it literally, if you've actually, you know, don't have to act on the coveting, then they said everybody would be guilty. Well, yeah, I don't see the debate. Yes, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. But see, understand, we're coming from a gospel perspective. We understand that the Ten Commandments is not a plan of salvation. The Ten Commandments is not like the roadmap. This is what you got to do to earn a place in heaven. That's not how salvation works. Paul tells us that the law is given, including the Ten Commandments, they're given to reveal your sin to show you your sin. And so understand, if the other ones didn't do it, this one ought to. The 10th commandment reveals your sin, but it reveals sin as something that just dwells in your mind and heart. You don't even have to get out of your chair. You don't even have to open your eyes. You don't have to do anything but want. Think. It's in your heart. Understand, 10 The 10th commandment is different simply because it shows us how sin dwells in your heart. So what does it mean? Thou shalt not covet. Covet is not a word that we use. I I don't. Maybe you do. Uh, The the noun form is covetousness, the sin of covetousness. I I don't say that. I don't say it not any more than I have to, to be honest. That's just an awkward kind of word. What does it actually mean? Covetousness. Uh, sort of belongs in that family of words, all of which have to do with our desire. So it's in that same family of words like greed or envy or or jealousy, but it's different. It's somehow different. And I think the difference is sort of hard to tease out. Obviously, all these words have to do with desire, and desire in itself can't always be sin. Sometimes we just want, and it's not necessarily wrong. Remember how I was talking a few weeks back when we were discussing the commandment against stealing? We talked about respecting property and how God himself created us with a certain kind of relationship to things. We have a relationship to things of the earth because God created us to be dependent upon certain things that the earth brings. So we need certain things to live. We need certain things to survive and to thrive. So God has designed us with with sort of a radar, with, with eyes that see the things in the world that we need so that we know how to find them, take them to ourselves, use them, and live, survive, thrive. You understand? So wanting in itself can't always be sin. When do you cross the line? Well, greed, if if coveting is like greed, greed is not always personal. In other words, I can just, you know, greed is just to want more and more and more. And I can want more money. I can want more things. And I can want in a way that has nothing to do with other people. Jesus, when he talks about greed, says that we must guard our hearts against every kind of greed. So Jesus must understand that there are lots and lots of different ways to be greedy. But greed is often impersonal, and I get the idea that covetousness is always personal. You must not covet what belongs to your neighbor. Understand? It's personal. It's, it's relational. If not every desire is always sin, coveting always is. And so what exactly are we forbidden to do? I would just say it simply. You are forbidden to want what others have. Period. 
That's not complicated to understand. It is a sin to want what other people have. Now, the problem with this, of course, when we say that is this is like your full-time job. I mean, this is what we all do. Can we just be that honest? Our culture depends upon this. I mean, our, our you know, free market commercial culture sort of counts on the fact, it banks on the fact that you're just always going to be wanting stuff. I mean, television works by commercials, right? And every advertisement you ever see sort of works on this principle that if they show you something and if they put it in the hands of someone you admire, if they let, you know, Beyonce sell it to you, you know, you'll see Beyonce with it and you'll want it. If you just see it in the hands of somebody that's attractive or somebody you admire, it will trigger your covetousness and you'll want it and you'll buy it. And that's how our whole society works. It works on the basis that we are covetous people. We always want what other people have. I mean, we can't turn that off. Some of you have been coveting in this house. You walked in, you sat down behind sister so-and-so, and you said, well, I like her hair. When this service is over, I'm going to ask her who does her hair. Next Sunday, I'll have her hair do. I mean, that's just how we think. Man, that dude, I like that shirt. I'm going to find out. I wonder where he got that shirt. I'm going to give me a shirt like that shirt. Right? I mean... It's just, you pull in the parking lot, you park in somebody's car, you think, wow, wow, that is a beautiful car, you know? So then you pick another parking place so we don't have to put your jalopy by this really, really nice car. I mean, this is just how everything works. We always notice what other people have. We look at their lives, and there's just something about it. We want what they have, and Scripture makes absolutely clear that wanting, that desire, that in itself is sin. That's sin. Everybody in the world may do it, but the people of Jesus aren't supposed to. I mean, it's plain. We're not supposed to covet. We're not supposed to want what other people have. Now, why is that? I mean, if everybody does it, I mean, and you're thinking, well, who gets hurt, you know, just because I want her hairdo? I'm not going to scalp her. You know what I mean? You're not... Not talking about that. You, you just you don't want like her actual hair. You just want hair like hers. You know, you're not going to steal their car. You know, I mean. So, what does it hurt? I mean, how is this somehow poisonous in our heart? How is it sin? Well, I would just I, I take you there slowly. First off, wanting what others have makes you despise what you have. You know what I mean? Like you were feeling pretty good about your hair until you saw her hair. You were feeling pretty good about your car until you pulled up next to their car. And then you think, man, I hate my car. It's old jalopy. You know, it's old. It's funny how this works. But when I start looking at what you have and, and how nice it is, I instantly start hating what I have. And, and this is, you know, like the whole reason we have HGTV. It's for this. I mean, the first thing that the word says is you must not covet your neighbor's house. But I mean, HGTV, it's all about that. I mean, that's what they do. They want you to covet their house. That's how Fixer Upper works, y'all. Like you sit down to watch Fixer Upper and when you first sit down, you like your house. Actually, I would say you love your house when you first sit down. This is the house that you and your husband bought when you first moved to Bowling Green. And man, when you closed on that house, you, you got keys to that house. You opened that door and you thought, oh, wow, I love this house. I mean, it's your house. 
Every room, you've painted every room, you've decorated it. I mean, you, you raised your kids in the bedrooms. You've had all these good meals at that table. You love your house. You love your house. Everything in it, it's all yours and all the memories. And then you turn on Fixer Upper. Chip and Joanna Gaines come walking out in Waco, Texas. And every show is the same. I'm not going to spoil any of it. You know how it goes. Joanna has found a crack house in Waco. It's a crack house. She's found a crack house and she calls Chip over and they're going to totally redo. They're going to fix up this crack house every episode. So Chip comes out with his hammer. He has demolition day. I mean, it all, it's, it's never, ever any different. They take a crack house. They cover every inch of it in shiplap, whatever that is. Knock out a wall or two, you know, Joanna, you know, has her little, you know, pad, whatever. She, she does that design on the computer, you know, and walls disappear and things grow up out of the floor. It's awesome. It's awesome. At the end of 30 minutes, actually probably 21 minutes if you take out the commercials, 20 minutes is all it takes. They do the big reveal and they show you what Joanna Gaines has done with the crack house in Waco, Texas. And at the end of 30 minutes... You're sitting there with new knowledge, and your new knowledge is this. There is now a crack house in Waco, Texas that is nicer than the dump you live in. That's how it works. Like, you loved your house till you saw that house. You loved your cabinets until Joanna Gaines told you they were out of style. Now you hate your whole kitchen. You can't even stand to eat in there. You know, you loved your countertops until somebody said they were dated. What a disaster. Your countertops are dated. Granite is out. You just got granite. I'm like, it took you this long to get granite, and now it's out. Because that's how everything works. We are trained in this society to want what others have. But understand, when you want what they have, it just makes you despise what you have. It makes you look at what you've got, and all of a sudden, it's not good enough. Uh, whatever it is, it's not good enough now because you've seen something better and they got it. You understand? Wanting what others have makes you despise what you have. Now, again, some of you think, I still don't see the harm in that. I mean, who, who does that hurt? That's just what we do. Well, okay. Remember, we're followers of Jesus, and I've been saying week after week after week that the Ten Commandments is not a plan of salvation, but as followers of Jesus, who is himself the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, we look at Jesus and we learn from Jesus, and, and actually his example and the gospel of Jesus deepens and transforms everything about the Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments, including the Tenth Commandment. So what does Jesus teach us? What does Jesus say? Let's just quote him. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. These are Jesus' own words. This is what he says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Jesus knows how much you want. Jesus knows how deep your desires go. You are a bottomless pit of wanting. You never run out of something else to want. And as soon as you get what you wanted, you have found something new to want. I mean, you never, ever stop this. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus is telling you what to do with that. 
You can't turn off that wanting, that, that hunger in you, that appetite for more. But Jesus just says, direct it in one place. And it's not target. Understand? You seek first the kingdom of God. You're still going to want things, but the thing is, Jesus says, you need to set your desires on the things of God. Now, spoiler alert, now, we're talking about the things money can't buy. We're talking about the things that nobody else is going to own or or possess. These are just all the things that God gives. These are the things of God. These are eternal things. Things that do not rot, things that do not rust, things that do not go out of style. We're talking about all of the things of the Spirit that Jesus makes available to us because of his sacrifice. Understand, seek ye first the kingdom of God above all else. Now, above all else. Jesus knows that there are other things that you still got to have. Absolutely. There's still things that you're going to want and going to need. But Jesus just wants you to get all of those desires in order. And at the top of everything is your desire for the kingdom of God, for the things of God. Does this make sense? Above all else, you want the things that God gives. You want the things that Jesus brings you. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Now, y'all are nodding your heads like I'm saying something you believe, but this is not how most of us live. Let's be honest. This is not how we live. I mean, we're church people, so we seek the kingdom of God, you know, on Sunday, and y'all give me about an hour and 15 minutes for that. But, but you know, the rest of the time, it's all this above all else. It's this all else, and this is where we live our whole lives. Man, this is important to us. We love things. I mean, some of you will spend a lot more time shopping this week than you're going to spend in the Word of God. So you can't possibly say you got these things in order. I mean, in your family, some of you, you're teaching your kids to get an education so they can get a good job, so they can work and have things. You want them to have all the nice things that you have. You want them to have nicer things than you have. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily. It's just the place in which you put that in your priorities. Because some of us are a lot more concerned that our children get on the right ball team or the right cheer group, you know. We, we want our kids to have the right clothes. We want our kids, you know, to get in the right college. But we never even give a lot of thought to, you know, maybe getting our kids into heaven. You understand? So we can't really honestly say that this is how we live when all else is everything we live for. And we barely give the things of God any thought. It's not how the followers of Jesus live. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And then this promise, this extravagant promise. If it weren't God making this promise, there ain't no way that somebody could make a promise like this. But it's the Lord God making the promise. And this is what he says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you every, everything you need. You put your focus here, and he's just going to provide for you everything you need. Now, y'all got excited about that until you realize what that last word is. Need. Because, see, you kind of want everything you want, and this is what we're talking about. Coveting has to do with wants, desires. And let's just say a whole lot of what you want is not anything you need. You don't need it. You don't need a new car. You don't need a new iPhone. You don't need any more shoes. If you're at the place where you have to throw away old shoes to buy new shoes, you don't need new shoes. You don't need tools, dude. 
Some of you guys go to Lowe's, see a tool thing. Man, I want that tool. You will buy a tool, go home, and you'll find out that you already bought that tool. Like, let's be honest, you don't use tools. You want to be that guy? You're not that guy. You don't fix things, you tear up things. And you don't use half of what you got. I mean, we got garages full of tools and junk. We got closets full of clothes and shoes. I mean, and we still want more. We want more. We want and we want and we want. And Jesus is saying, you know, you're wanting, your desire is what leads you into sin. He will give you everything you need. You need to learn the difference between a want and a need. And most of what you want, you don't need. Jesus knows exactly what you need and who will give you everything you need to do, everything he wants you to do. There will not be a single day in your life when you're putting him first. There will not be a day in your life where you will say, he didn't take good care of me today. You will never find a moment when he abandons you, where he forsakes you, where he leaves you needing something that that you don't have. Do you understand? He will take care of you. This is his promise. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Y'all believe that? You believe it? Let's keep going. That means the spirit of Jesus teaches us to be, say the word, content. You be content. Instead of wanting what others have, want what you have. I know y'all think, oh, Pastor, that's a cute little sentence there. You know, that's not being cute. That's like the secret to everything right there. Do you understand the freedom that comes with contentment? Like if there's just not anything in the world that you feel like you want, because you already have what you, you know, want, and you want what you have, I mean, that's an incredible, incredible way to live. And this is what Jesus wants for us. The the way that you break the back of covetousness is you just learn contentment. Jesus wants us to be content. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. I mean, we need to know that secret. Contentment, just basic contentment. And it comes down to this. You just learn to want what you have. Not what others have, just want what you have. You got a car, just want your car. Do you understand that? Just want the clothes that you have. Want the house that you have. Do you understand? If you want what you have, that means you have everything you want. It's an amazing, amazing gift that the Spirit gives, and it's simply called contentment. And this is just how it works. You won't be looking around wanting what other people have when you learn to want what you have. It's contentment. It's just contentment. And it's just so hard for us. Man, I'll just be really honest with you. And I didn't really understand what Warren was going to do with the giving talk today. I didn't know about the picture with the Filipino pastors. But um, it's, it's a pretty new Bible. Y'all remember when I got this Bible a couple of months ago? I was really proud of it. Uh, this Bible costs over $100. And I was really proud of it till today. Why do I have a $100 Bible in my hand? And there are you know, four pastors that we can just show their pictures in. They've been preparing for ministry. And, 
And they don't, they don't have a Bible. And a Bible would cost $4.60. The Bible in my hand would buy them 20 Bibles. 20 pastors in the Philippines could preach the word with a Bible in their hand. Do you know how many Bibles I have? And I needed a new one? There is something wrong with us, you all. There's just something wrong with us. Instead of wanting what others have, just want what you have. It's called contentment. Just be content. Because let's keep going. When you covet what belongs to your neighbor, you're saying that you don't like the way God provides for you. The book of James says that every good and perfect gift that comes down you know, from the Father above, you know, he, everything good comes from him. And you know that he's the source of everything good and everything that you have, it, it comes from him. And, and we've already said that when you seek first the kingdom, he's the one that's going to provide everything that you need. So do you understand where this leads? That means when you and I, you know, we start coveting, we look around and we want what others have. And it's interesting how that works because, you know, it, it, it can become bitterness in our heart. We can actually get bitter toward God because you, you start looking at, at, at how everybody else has an easy life and your life is not so easy. And so that can make you bitter. You know, you know God, why is it that they get to have so much and I have to struggle? You know, why do they get to have good health? Why do they get to have a happy marriage? Lord, why do they get to have shiplap in their kitchen? Why does everybody else have a nice car and I'm driving this, you know, 1960 Chevette? You know, wh why is my life so miserable and everybody else has it so good? I mean, you understand, it, it can become a, a really kind of stingy bitterness in you. But when you do this, when you let that take over, understand what you're actually saying is, God, I don't think you're doing a very good job taking care of me. You know, you look at your girlfriend and she's got that beautiful hair and you, you look at that mop of hair, hair on your head and you say, you know, God, I don't like the way you made me. You look around, you see the men on the beach with the six pack abs and you look down and see what you got and you think you just immediately, you despise your own self and then God, I don't like the way you made me. You, you look around what others have and, and what you're actually saying is, I mean, you're pointing your finger in the face of the heavenly father who's given you everything that you have and you're saying, I don't like the way you provide for me. I mean, the audacity, the audacity for you and me to somehow be dissatisfied with the way he provides for us. What is it that you think you don't have? I mean, seriously, what is it that you think you don't have? Oh, Brother Tim, you don't understand. 2020 was just so hard. COVID was just so hard. I was shut inside my house. We were, I was shut inside my house with my husband. Eight months. You were inside a house that has a theater room. I, I mean, some of you have a TV in your living room that's bigger than this. And if it gets any bigger than this, you could open a drive-in. Why do you need a screen, you know, bigger than your dining room table? I mean, and, and this is a house you were closed up in. It was just horrible. I had to wear a mask at the grocery. I was smothering. <laughs> Do you understand that our friends in the Philippines, they died in COVID, but they didn't die from COVID. They died of starvation. Yeah. 
You don't think God's taken good enough care of you? I mean, you know, he hasn't provided you enough clothes yet? I mean, honestly, what that you have needed has he not provided for you? And who do you think you are? Walking around with this dissatisfied, this hungry heart that just wants more and more and more. Has he not been good to you? When you covet what belongs to your neighbor, you're saying that you don't like the way God provides for you. So here's your problem. Mine too. It's, it's not that we want too much. And, and I think, Pastor, well, that doesn't make sense. You just said that we want everything and we don't ever quit wanting. And, and that's true. But your problem isn't that you want too much. Because as I said, everything you and I want is stupid stuff. It's It's silly. You want things you don't need. You want things that, that, that you'll forget about. You want dresses that you'll hang in your closet and never take the tags off of. I mean, it's a sickness. It's craziness. It's craziness. We just want silly things. That They're small things, and, and they don't add anything to our lives. They won't make you one bit happier. They won't make you live one day longer. It's not going to bring your teenagers you know, back into your family. I mean, it's not going to do anything for you. It's not that you want too much. Your problem is that you want so little. I mean, Jesus says that he wants to give you the kingdom of God and everything else. The kingdom and everything else. And, and this is what I'm saying. Well, what God has for you is so much, but you continue to want all these little, crazy, silly things of the world. And none of it lasts. It rusts, it rots, it decays, it goes out of style. Moths eat it right out of the closet. I'm telling you, none of it, none of it is eternal. None of it is worth anything. It's not that you want too much. You want so little, and that's your problem. You focus on something very, very small, very insignificant, and you, you make it your treasure. You tell yourself, oh, if I only had the house that they have, if I only had the, the bank account that he has, if I only had her looks, if I only had her husband, I mean, if only, if only. But your assumption is that they've got that house and somehow they're happier than you are. You don't know. Chances are they're in that house watching that same episode of Fixer Upper thinking, I hate this place. Because we're all the same like that. You're not going to buy anything that's going to instantly make your family happy. You understand? These are spiritual things that you're never going to find in anything that you could want, covet, buy. It's it's not that you want too much. You've got your sights set on things that are so small that will never do for you what you need to have done for you. So, uh. Last thing. Actually, it's two things. I tricked you. It's one slide, two sentences. All right. Two things. Learn, just learn to be glad in the way God takes care of others. Start right there. Just learn to be happy for people. People have nice things. People are good looking. They're all better looking than we are, y'all. I mean, just, you know, buy the People magazine, you know, 50 beautiful, most beautiful people and quit looking for your picture. I mean... And just be happy for beautiful people, you know, because they're going to be ugly soon. I mean, did y'all see the Friends reunion? Did y'all see that? It's like, oh, I didn't need that, you you know. I I didn't need to see them like that. 
I'm, I'm off the sermon now, but y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, they got to be beautiful for a little while, but it's over. Because looks don't last. You know, so if you know, somebody looks good in a bathing suit this year, just be happy for them because the next year is coming. You know, let, tell them to come back next year. You know, we'll, we'll check them out again. You know, be happy for people. You all, somebody else got a swimming pool. You know, just, you know, hope, hope they'll let you come over. Just be happy for people. Because here's the thing, I, I don't think you can love people and at the same time want what they have, want their stuff, you know. I mean, the principle is simple. We're supposed to love people and use things. But if you love things, you end up using people to get more things. Just love people. Be happy for people. If they look nice, if they have nice things, they seem to have a happy life, God bless them because God's good to everybody, you all. It's just good. And the same God taking care of them is taking care of you. So learn to be glad in the way he's taking care of others, but please listen to me. Just learn to be glad in the way he takes care of you. Just learn to be glad in the way he, ta- he takes care of you too. And he doesn't necessarily give you all the things he gives other people because he's given you things he didn't give them. His plans and purposes for every one of us is, is specific. He doesn't have the same plan for you, not the same purpose for them. And he's going to provide differently, but he's going to provide well. He's going to give you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. You're never in your life going to wake up one morning and realize that he hasn't shown up to provide for you. It's the very last commandment. You must not covet. Thou shalt not covet. You just simply have to stop wanting what other people have. Because Jesus has a a gift for you. It comes only from him, and you're not going to buy it in any store. It's it's just that gift of contentment. It's it's the satisfaction in knowing that your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need, and he's going to provide it. He's good to you. Do you understand? He's good to you. Pray with me. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are such a good Father. And you lavish your love upon us. We have never, ever, not one time, not one of us stepped outside the focus of your attention and affection. And you provide for us everything we need and more. So much more, abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So Lord, As you listen to us and look upon us, we must seem like the most ungrateful children. The most ungrateful children, Lord, who take your gifts and walk away wanting more. Looking at what others have, Lord, we sometimes despise what we have before we've even been thankful for it. Before we've even taken time to recognize where all the things come from in the first place. Oh God, you are the giver of every good gift and everything you have given us is good. So teach us, Lord, the secret of wanting what you've given us, wanting what we have and simply being glad for others and what they have, Lord, because you're so good to all of us. You're so good to all of us. Teach us the secret of contentment 
Teach us, Lord, the secret of gratitude. Teach us, Lord, simply to live with our eyes, our hearts, our treasure fixed on all of the things that only you can give us, the kingdom of heaven and everything else. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. May we always remember that you always care for what belongs to you. We are your children, not always grateful, but always well cared for. So today, Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for taking care of everyone else too. Help us, Lord Jesus, to fix our eyes upon you and trust you for all that we have and all that we will receive. May we receive it with hearts full of gratitude. For Jesus' sake. Amen.